0: What do automobile tires and Crayola crayons have in common? What famous book has one sentence, 3,687 words long?
1: Oh, dear. <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the (laughs) off-ramp. A chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marsha, I think this is the 19th show we've done since the COVID emergency began. (laughs) And we're still at it. We still are. We're learning fun things as we go off and go to our public library, go to books, go to the web. And uh, let's answer your first question there. What is that again about? How long is that sentence?
0: 3,687 words. That's 16 pages long if you double space. Oh, dear
1: God. <laughs> and, and you did, I take it.
0: <laughs> it's a 12-point font. Well, something but, to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Killing time in COVID world. Uh, so the question is, what book?
1: What book has a sentence it's, that long?
0: Yeah, I'll give you the year it came out. Okay. Maybe that'll help.
1: 1922.
0: 1922. So it's considered a, a Older
1: classic. It's not F. Scott Fitzgerald because he was really brief. brief he had brevity yeah. when yeah. he wrote. This,
0: this goes against every fiber of my being.
1: Okay. It's not <laughs> a Hemingway story either, is no, it? Because he was no. pretty terse.
0: No. All right. What was it? It's Molly Bloom's Soliloquy in Joyce's novel, Ulysses. James
1: Joyce's Ulysses, a big, thick book.
0: Oh, it was, and that's because it had only 10 sentences. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Apparently. What in the world?
0: Yeah, so she was certainly long-winded, Molly Bloom.
1: Now, she's a character in this and- novel, right?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this is basically why nobody reads these things. Yeah. I mean, who the hell's going to do that?
1: <laughs> okay. What do automobile tires and Crayola crayons have in common?
0: Well, I would say some kind of rubber oil-based thing or something.
1: It was Binney and Smith. Ever heard of that name? No. They're the people that make Crayola crayons. Really? Yes. Your car's tires are not naturally black. Natural rubber is closer to an off-white shade. And that's what the early tires were. But starting in 1917, the manufacturer started adding carbon black to strengthen the rubber and make it more durable. Tires that weren't treated with carbon black were good for 5,000 miles. But tires with carbon black could be driven for 50,000 miles or more. So starting in 1917, manufacturers began adding carbon black to the tires. Now they had to look for a supplier of that, and they found it in Binney & Smith. That's the company that makes Crayola Crayons. They used carbon black. They knew where to get it, and they sold it to the automakers. Adding carbon black made the rubber stronger, but it actually changed its color to black. So your tire's colors originally came from the Crayola Crayon Company.
0: Who would have guessed? (laughs) (laughs) That's just okay, Bob. Mm -hmm. Swan song. Can you give me the origins of that phrase, "swan song"?
1: Must have been because of the birds singing. Did they swoon? Did they die after they sang? Well, that
0: that is the folklore that the swans sing most beautifully before they die. They know they're going down, and uh, and then they sing, and so that became a phrase used for people's last. Hurrah, You know, mm-hmm. and the phrase is of ancient origin, and you can find it in Plato, Aristotle, Euripides, even Shakespeare used it in several plays. And uh, just a little aside on on swans: they're monogamous, and they have been known to actually pass away from a broken heart if their partner dies and they don't find another partner.
1: Wow! So they and human beings both do that, and yeah. other animals too. I would yeah, assume. Yeah,
0: some uh, dogs once in a while.
1: Okay, now this is an expression, like kind of like swan song.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He bought the farm. <laughs> what does that usually mean?
0: They, you die. Yeah. But why?
1: Yeah, where did the...
0: He bought the farm. Because uh, people who bought a farm became farmers. They died quick because there's so much work involved.
1: Could be legitimately <laughs> true. It's a very, very hard life. But it actually comes from the military. Oh. It came from aviation in either World War II or the early U.S. Air Force in the 1950s. One theory is that when a pilot died in the Army Air Force, the death benefits his family would get from the U.S. government would be enough to pay the mortgage for the family farm. So death for your country meant you were buying the family farm for your parents. And then a second meaning comes from early aviation training, which was almost always conducted over rural, sparsely populated areas to be safe. And so planes often crashed into barns and other farm buildings, and those accidents were compensated for by the government with monies that often paid for the farm. Either way, it was definitely popularized by U.S. pilots from World War II or the early Air Force in the 1950s. So it's an American expression. He bought the farm. So uh, it's easier than saying, he died. (laughs) (laughs) Although it's more words. It's more work to say it it that way. It sounds a little
0: more flippy and more fun, (laughs) right? (laughs) Okay, babe. Thomas Jefferson and George Washington grew many crops on their plantations. Can you name three of them that are mostly considered illegal today?
1: Well, I know hemp. Yep. Hemp was, that's cannabis. Mm -hmm. So that was used for ropes. George Washington had a huge rope-making facility. Okay. Apparently it was a big, long thing. Okay. Now, what were the others?
0: Two others that are... I have no idea. opium And cocaine. Really? Yeah. And as late as the 1860s, all three of these could be purchased legally from any druggist.
1: (laughs) But both Jefferson and Washington had opium and cocaine.
0: And marijuana. So I don't know about the ropes, but I do know that people bought uh, weed from the druggist back in the day.
1: Hmm. Okay, here's another word origin question. Why is a newcomer called a rookie? (sighs) Rookie.
0: A newcomer to baseball or uh, sports or... Newcomer
1: to anything. anything? Yeah, it actually, it's uh, rookie is anyone new to an organization requiring teamwork.
0: Does it have anything to do with chess? And the rooks are on the end and eh, they're not the smallest piece, so I don't know. But
1: part of it may come from a game, but a lack of experience can cause errors, right? So one explanation is traced back to the Civil War when massive numbers of raw recruits were rushed into battle. The veterans called the incompetent raw recruits wreckies, um, like reckless almost. Oh, okay. The word may also be influenced by the word rook in its secondary sense, a card cheater. So the word basically soldiers with inadequate world experience were easy to rook, to cheat. So they're rookies. Yeah. Anyway, it became synonymous, and that was popularized by Rudyard Kipling in 1892. The Barrack Room Ballads. He talks about rookies. Ah. So it comes from the military, a rookie.
0: Ah. It was Thomas Edison, Bob, who suggested that people answer the telephone with the word hello. Mhm. People seemed to like this better than the word they had been using and was recommended by the telephone company. Do you know what word that was?
1: Yes, it was "ahoy." How, how do you know that? Oh, that's an old trivia fact uh, and apparently Alexander Graham Bell suggested using "ahoy." "Ahoy." <laughs> he was Scottish, I guess. I don't know. This is, can you imagine people <laughs> doing answer but you know, "hello." That was not a that was not a term people used a lot back I, then. I, so but Ahoy, I can't imagine yeah. that. Pick up the phone. Ahoy, Marsha. Shadow me timbers, matey. Yeah, it's Ahoy. A, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I get a little bit right, of thing.
0: All right, Bob. You got something for me? Okay,
1: I got another military question. Okay. What famous military weapons name was originally a ruse? Its shipping crates were intentionally misnamed to disguise its secret weapon status. This is a Famous military weapon still in use today, but its name originally was a ruse, and we still call it the same thing.
0: Um, tanks?
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> tanks are places to store water, right? Uh huh. But it's also a heavily armored combat vehicle. It was designed in secret by who? Uh,
0: I got me there, Bob.
1: British Army. Okay. 1915. And it was intentionally designed. To try to get around trench warfare, to go over the trenches.
0: Oh, I knew that. I saw that on a documentary.
1: So many people were dying because of trench warfare. Yeah, yeah. So they developed this. In 1915, the Landships Committee commissioned a small land ship to get around trench warfare. They actually codenamed it tank. When anybody asks what's going on, oh, we're building tanks, like you're building water tanks. They intentionally named it that, and they shipped it to the front in crates labeled "tanks." So when they came out, everybody started calling them tanks. They didn't have some big fancy combat name.
0: Yeah, I also thought it was a uh, acronym. In, in addition no, to no,
1: it's that. not an acronym. Technical armored uh, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. vehicle. <laughs> well, K for what? No, it's that. not an acronym.
0: Okay, let's go. <laughs> let's go from military tanks to vegetables. What vegetable is considered to have negative
1: calories? What vegetable has negative calories? Yeah,
0: how can that be, you say? Yes, how can
1: that be, I say?
0: (laughs) I'll tell you once you identify the vegetable.
1: I have no idea. What would have negative calories? I don't know. Celery. Really? And it,
0: yes. And it's the reason why it's on so many diets, because it provides the hand-to-mouth fixation. And basically, it takes more calories to eat than it contains to begin with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is why you don't like celery. Oh, I, I, I like celery. Ugh. Marcia hates celery.
0: Oh, it's the texture. It's just all so those it's strings. So like it's a
1: zero-sum game. Yeah. Well, it was, that's great.
0: Yeah, less than zero, because it takes more energy to eat. And so you're burning calories. Eating it. it.
1: (laughs) That's not a bad thing. And it's also such a, what I like about celery, it's so refreshing. And that that crunchy sound is refreshing.
0: That's why people like it. You don't like it? Only if I have a pound of peanut butter on it. Oh,
1: (laughs) jeez. You and peanut butter. Well, I like peanut butter, too. Okay, I have a question. What country's name was once synonymous with a fabric? This is an old country.
0: Oh. I'm thinking of, uh, uh, Ma- uh, not madras with a fabric. I'm thinking of Scottish. Uh, is it in Scotland?
1: No, was you the... were you were closer first when you were talking about madras.
0: Oh, okay. Then I don't know. That's the only, oh, that's
1: my answer. Well, there. that came from India. Madras. Yeah. yeah. And that's where.
0: I thought maybe the Scottish, uh, what is that plaid called? Uh, I'm sorry. No. What, what's the answer, Bob? <laughs> nice face. The tartan. That's it. I was thinking of tartan.
1: Yeah, well, what country is Tartan, Marcia? This goes back to what country's it's my, name. It's
0: on my bucket list, Bob.
1: <laughs> oh, you want to go to Tartan?
0: Right after I learned. We'll be Tartan traveling language. to
1: Tartan, and then we'll be going to the Caucasians <laughs> after that. Not, no, Marcia, no. Not. Okay. The country was India. Okay. And according to the Wall Street Journal, in ancient cultures, the word India was shorthand for cotton, because the Indians have been exporting textiles for 6,000 years, since 4,000 B.C., and, BC, really? Yeah, since 4000 BC, India has been exporting cotton.
0: Huh, well, that's.
1: Did you know that? No. I had no idea. No. Okay. So, if, uh, one time, if you said uh, India, you meant cotton. People would say, oh, yeah, I, I wear India.
0: Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay, Bob. Electric eels. Okay. In the rivers of South America are some of the most powerful in the world. And on average, they can deliver how many volts of electricity?
1: Ooh, that's interesting. Because you can be killed by one, I assume, right? It
0: can uh, mess up your your heartbeat and stuff. I
1: would think so. Um, Well, 100 volts. I'll just throw that number out. Yeah,
0: that's a good guess. Okay. It's 600, though. Wow. That's equivalent to 400 AA batteries. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to get some kind of comparison. That's a
1: lot to carry around, it 400 AA batteries. Just one little eel
0: in your backpack, and you can <laughs> charge your <laughs> phones and all sorts of things.
1: <laughs> wow. All right, and let's take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to Trivia on the Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marshaw. Smith. OK, we're back, Bob and Marsha Smith and the off ramp. Today, we're doing trivia, as we have been doing for I don't know, the past 18, 19 weeks here during our COVID emergency. And I don't know if you remember, Marsha, but earlier on the show, I read portions of a essay that Jason Gay, who is the sports writer for The Wall Street Journal, but he's also a great humorist. He reminds me of Art Buchwald or uh-huh. somebody like that from years ago. He did a a piece we used. It was about the dog, how your dog's not happy with you being home now. It was fun at first, but I'm tired of it.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, His latest one, which was in the August 1st edition of the Wall Street Journal, is, Hi, it's us, your dress shoes. (laughs) We miss you. (laughs) So I just wanted to give you a little bit of that, okay? Okay. Hey there, it's us, your dress shoes. Remember us? We live inside the closet, bottom left. No, no, not those. The other shoes. The good ones. The leather ones. Your really good shoes. You wore us to that big party in March. The bash with the fancy hors d'oeuvres. What a night that was. You had all your best clothes on. We're not ashamed to say it. We looked great that night. But those days feel gone, and... Yes, we heard about the pandemic. Yes, we know what's going on. We get cable television in here, plus some podcasts. We know that life has changed. You can't go to the movies. You have to wear a mask. And then it goes on. It's got some real funny stuff there. And then it ends with this. Don't get us started on face masks. We get it. They're important. But those masks won't shut up about how special they are. <laughs> <laughs> the face masks need face masks. OK, well, stop complaining. Well, you know you have a lot going on. If you want to take us out just for a walk around the living room to give us a little bit of exercise, that'd be great. Maybe you could even put on a nice outfit, you know, like old times. Life is too precious for flip flops. Love Your Dress Shoes. Because I think we all have at least one pair, maybe more, that we haven't put on.
0: Got those (laughs) wingtips waiting in line to come out and see you.
1: Okay, what do you got?
0: Okay, Bob. How long would it take you to sleep one night in every hotel room located
1: in Disney World? Oh, my goodness. And if you've never been there, you don't realize there's so many little housing areas with different themes and everything. Where did we stay? It was a Caribbean beach, Caribbean beach, something Uh like that. It was years uh ago. Okay, so I'm just wasting time here because I don't know the answer. (laughs) I'll say uh, there's so many hotel rooms. Um, I think I heard this for Las Vegas. There's something like 42 years to stay in every hotel room one night. Well,
0: that's a whole city. Oh,
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, what's the answer?
0: Well, what's your answer?
1: 22 years
0: Okay No 68 years Oh you led me in the wrong direction <laughs> I did and That's you, mean and You bought that
1: You didn't buy the farm 68 no. Yeah I didn't buy the farm <laughs> Yes 68 years Just yes. to stay overnight In every hotel room yes. In Disney World
0: Yes Palm Beach Post Carries all sorts of Interesting factoids About Walt Disney World One of them is that you're never more than 30 steps away from a trash receptacle. Well,
1: there you go.
0: And every year, their lost and found department takes in roughly 6,000 cell phones.
1: 6,000 cell phones.
0: 3,500 digital cameras and 18,000 hats. And what's some of the weirdest things turned in? A glass eye. A, pros- a glass eye, a prosthetic leg, and a potty trainer.
1: Wait a minute! How could you leave your prosthetic leg and not, re- <laughs> and uh, not wait a minute? Something's missing here. Why am here. I hopping
0: so much? Something's not yes. right. Well, all of those particular items were claimed, but Holy not by the cow. same person. Well, hopefully
1: not. <laughs> Also, a glass eye, my goodness, wouldn't yeah. you know right away I, I don't have my glass eye? Yet? I,
0: I it would do it. yeah.
1: I remember years ago when I was a kid, I lived in Michigan, and the Sioux Locks. they would find all kinds of stuff like that. And we were up there one time, and one of the guides was saying, "Oh, these are among the things we find every year, and they were false teeth, you know, people'd be looking over and their false <laughs> teeth would fall in the water. So Look when, at you that. Have, when you have a sanitation job, you really discover things about the underside of humanity. <laughs> wow. That's all I can say about that. All right, what famous dance inspired a design pattern that lives to this day? What famous dance inspired a design pattern? And you you use the name all the Scotch time. Scotch plaid. Scotch plaid. Of course, it's the Scotch plaid dance. No,
0: no, <laughs> no. Uh, you use. Now the... here's
1: a hint. It carries the dance's name. Polka dot. That's exactly right. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's a leftover—I didn't know this, but, you know, the polka dance craze, that was in the 19th century, came to America in 1835. Where do you think the dance come from?
0: I would think Germany.
1: Germany or Poland? Yeah. No. <laughs> Czechoslovakia. Okay. Now, the term polka is a Polish word for Polish woman. Okay. Oh, yeah, but the dance came from Czechoslovakia. And there were a lot of spinoff products. There were things named polka this, polka that, polka la la la. Huh. And uh, the polka dot pattern— was one of the patterns of dresses that became associated with the dance. They were never really possible until the Industrial Revolution. Oh, for the repetition. Well, the, yeah. the symmetry and the perfect spacing Repeat and all of that. Repeat
0: patterns, yeah.
1: And then, of course, they came into the 20th century. In 1926, Miss America, Norma Smallwood, wore a polka dot dress. And then Minnie Mouse became <laughs> oh, Minnie, a... Minnie, that one I All know. right, what two popular songs carry the words polka dot in them? Itsy
0: Bitsy Polka Dot Bikini. yeah.
1: That was 1960, Brian Hyland. Another <laughs> and, polka dot song was sung by one of your favorite singers. Don't know. Frank.
0: Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Sang.
1: Sang. <laughs> what was it? like, Jesus. <laughs> oh, polka dots and rainbows.
0: Okay, dear. What is the most linguistically diverse country? In the world.
1: Well, I would think the United States, because we have all these immigrants here. But am I wrong? Oh, very. China has a lot of different dialects. Wrong. Okay, what is it?
0: <laughs> okay, it's Papua New Guinea.
1: Oh, New Guinea.
0: Uh, P-A-U-P-A. And uh, you want to take a guess how many this country of 7.6 million people?
1: This must be from all the tribes of the indigenous people from going back centuries. I uh, don't know how many. I don't know. Oh, well, let's say 200 Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a good guess. They speak 850 different languages.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Isn't that crazy in that little country? And the two most popular uh, language spoke there are English and Creole. Really? Yeah.
1: Creole, now that's interesting. Yeah,
0: one to guess that either.
1: All (laughs) right, Marcia, as you uh, are looking at the web these days, you find so many interesting things that are coming back in vogue. You know, lava lamps came back a couple of years ago. Did you ever hear about the Golden Girls Mount Rushmore Chia Pet? (laughs) <laughs> it is a brand—why pre- are the Golden Girls coming back into such popularity? Well,
0: who's buying it?
1: I don't know, but the Golden Girls, that was 35 years ago they premiered. Was it really? But the Chia Pet folks have reimagined Mount Rushmore with four very different heads. That's hilarious. It's a new Chia Pet. Instead of the four presidents, you got B. Arthur, Estelle Getty, Betty White, and Rue McClanahan. The Rushmore Chia Pet Decorative Planner Golden Girls. It's got the— <laughs> <laughs> Green things growing out of their heads. That's very funny. You got a funny picture with it. Yeah, I thought that was very strange.
0: All right, Bob. In 2013, PayPal accidentally created the world's first what?
1: PayPal accidentally created the world's first. Can you give me any hint?
0: Uh, it's something to do with the monetary world.
1: Oh, is it the first digital payment or no, first digital? Let me put it this way. Okay.
0: Uh, it gave this fellow. Uh, a certain cachet in the world of money. How much did they accidentally give him? He became the world's first millionaire. Uh, the,
1: I don't know, no, Marsh.
0: Quadrillionaire. Oh, oh. P- PayPal accidentally credited a 56-year-old Pennsylvania guy with 92 quadrillion dollars. Oh dear! That's 92 followed by 15 zeros. Now, that's a lot of Philly cheesecakes. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That amount, Bob, is basically a thousand times greater than the world's entire GDP. Uh,
1: Did he get to keep it? That's my question.
0: What do you think? No. 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 Can you imagine? You go to your PayPal account. Mine always says zero.
1: (laughs) No. You go
0: in there, and it says in your account is ninety-two quadrillion.
1: Quadrillion. Yeah. Dollars. Yeah,
0: I thought That's that was, a lot. That's, that's a bit.
1: Okay, Marcia, I have a fun thing here I found on the web. It's words that mean different things in the UK, which is England, and uh-huh. the USA. Oh, okay. Okay. If I said to you, Marcia, you're homely, what would you say? <laughs> You'd be upset, wouldn't you?
0: Maybe. Uh, but it actually means, and homely over there means... Uh, Attractive.
1: It means pleasant, pleasant, evocative, of home warm, you know. Yeah, oh, She's my. a homely girl. You know, yeah. your boyfriend would not kill somebody if you said that.
0: Right, right.
1: Okay, here's a word. Tell me what it means in the UK and what it means here.
0: Okay, oh, this is big. Rubber. It can be a tire here.
1: Well, it could also be a condom here. Yeah. But over there, it's what?
0: It is, um, gosh.
1: I used a rubber in school. Eraser. Yes, an eraser. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that funny? All right. And then here's another one. All right. Um, pants. Now, it's fine for a man to wander outside in America wearing nothing but his pants. Yeah. But in Britain, not so much. In Britain, trousers go over pants. Pants are under pants.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: that's, yeah. And then one more. Then I've got a few more we can do later some other time. Okay. Jumper. Jumper.
0: Okay, a jumper is... If you're an
1: American who read the British version of the Harry Potter series, the British version, you would wonder why all the boys so often wore jumpers.
0: Yeah, aren't they those little overalls, little rompers?
1: In the UK, a jumper is a sweater. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I wouldn't have guessed that either.
1: I thought that was funny.
0: Ah, okay. We talked about Fahrenheit and Celsius uh, last week, I believe. Yes, yes, yes. those two temperature scales actually intersect, are the same. At what temperature?
1: They intersect at what temperature? Yeah,
0: they actually read the same. Because
1: the Celsius is 0 to 100. 0 meaning when water freezes, 100 when water boils, and then Fahrenheit is all over the map. I don't know. What's the temperature?
0: Minus 40 degrees is the same on Celsius and Fahrenheit.
1: It's damn cold <laughs> using both of those standards.
0: So, that's correct.
1: Okay. Okay. In the UK, trolley, trolley. What's a trolley?
0: A trolley is something that works uh, with uh, with those electric bars. It's electric train, right? Yeah.
1: It, it's an electric vehicle that runs metal tracks, and it's and it's Goes run by electricity, the, right? To the wire. All yes. All right. In the UK, what are trolleys?
0: I don't know. A cigarette.
1: <laughs> no. A trolley is the equivalent of a shopping cart.
0: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Of.
1: Now, some more confusion. Canadians throw yet another word into the mix buggy for shopping cart. Oh, really? Yeah, they use buggies when they shop. Oh, we use shopping right. carts, and Brits use trolley. <laughs> I don't know, it's, just interesting how words <laughs> it's are used a differently. Small,
0: small, small, well, and we're all
1: small, English. Small, we're all speaking yeah, the same language, language, but using but different, different words, words for, for the same thing.
0: Yeah, very good.
1: All right, now, this is interesting. There is a new book out called Some Assembly Required, <laughs> and uh, it's by Neil Shubin. And it reports that scientists now believe that our ability to reason, store information, read, write, and remember, might be due to an ancient virus. So viruses aren't always bad. So a virus may have given us a specific gene. You know, a virus can cause anomalies in evolution. And they think the only reason that we can do this, things we do as human beings, Uh is because we came up on shore and got a land-based virus, a gene. Because fish don't have it. There's all kinds of other things that don't have it that live in the sea. All land-based animals have this gene. It's called the ARC, Activity-Regulated Cytoskeleton-Associated Protein.
0: Oh, I thought that, yes.
1: <laughs> it does roll off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, anyway, so uh, that's that's what the thought is, that huh. an ancient viral infection may be the reason you can well, read, well, write, do and remember. What
0: you think will come out of this I with. don't know. <laughs> all right.
1: Here's another one, and this really would explain this weird coincidence if you look into history. Written languages appeared almost simultaneously all over the world, starting 3500 B.C. Before that, you can't find much written words anywhere. A virus may have given us the ability to have a language, written languages. So some scientists think that viruses may have caused that. All right. And viruses can be (laughs) geographically isolated, like to islands. That may be why Australia has unique pouch animals. They have the kangaroo, the wallaby, the koala. Uh Most of those aren't found very many other places. And they found fossils that there were marsupial lions, wolves, and saber-toothed tigers, all with pouches that once roamed Australia, but nowhere else, because they think there was a virus there and it was isolated to the island. So viruses, a lot of history <laughs> yeah, of viruses love them. yet yeah, to be written. And you've right. got some stuff there at the end on well, viruses. Well, I got
0: some corona quips, I call them, that made me laugh. Okay. Okay. Did you ever notice that every disaster movie starts with a government ignoring a scientist? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I know. That is true. <laughs> We're not going to listen to that. It's always every, every big uh... Okay. Anybody else's car getting three weeks to the gallon?
1: Three weeks to the <laughs> And
0: never in my life would I imagine that my hands would consume more alcohol than my mouth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> With the, uh, the hand sanitizers, yeah, the yes. Sanitizers. Absolutely.
0: Anyway, those are quips from the COVID corner.
1: <laughs> all right. And uh, we're in the COVID corner here doing trivia every week. We really want to thank everybody we know who's listening. We get people telling us from all over the country they're starting to listen to our show. And, and we're really happy for that. So we hope you join us again next time here. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. And this has been The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.